Not too bad. How are you? Cannot complain. We are nearly done with day one of a long weekend right after my first week for reels back to work. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. Very excited about having three days off in a row. <laughs> good, good. You should be. Everyone should be. Speaking of, I have a thing. I'm, I'm of course, because it's me, I'm making sourdough bread right now. And in about 50 minutes, I'm going to need to pop out of the recording for a second to okay. address some bread-related activities and then come right back. <laughs> bread-related activities. Good improv group name. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm doing an experiment this time with normally, because I make these little buns, because I have this uh, pan that makes eight rectangular little No one cakes. wants to hear about your little buns. <laughs> There's got to be somebody, all right? <laughs> a million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall? You could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. But so it makes these eight rectangular little cakes, but I found out that I can put sourdough bread into them and make these delightful little buns, right? And uh, also a great improv group. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been rolling the dough out and stuffing them with cheese or in some cases like ham and cheese or I did a sweet one that had like pecans and brown sugar and stuff in it but the dough has been plain and the problem is is that as the dough rises it also rises it rises in all directions so it rises in and so whatever's in the middle gets kind of squished up into like a little nugget right and so I'm actually incorporating all of the ham and cheese that I'm putting into this batch into the dough itself and it needs to be worked in kind of carefully so that's what's going on in my life. How are you? <laughs> Great. Good. So just just to summarize real quickly for everyone, um, you need to gently work stuff into your little buns. A hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Good. Yes. Uh, but I will edit around it so nobody will even know. <laughs> oh, man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And you know what? I don't have a ton on the docket today. There's a couple of articles we haven't talked about. There's a uh, large pun bank that my son, uh, you know, recently opened up an account to that we need to talk about. And uh, that's pretty much it on my side. What's going on in southwestern Michigan, Steve? Uh, also, not a whole lot. Uh, I was trying to think of, uh, yeah, yeah, nothing. Um, yeah, not much. We're, the garden. How's your garden doing? Ours is, you know, starting to wind down. But I planted so late that we still have one tomato plant just filled with tomatoes. I'm waiting to get ripe enough to pick. So I have about twelve hillbilly tomatoes on the one hillbilly tomato plant that, like, every day I go out there and I'm like, you know what? These are going to be ripe tomorrow, and they're just not quite there yet. Every single day. My San Marzano plant has about six or eight that are pretty much ready to come off. They'll come off this weekend at some point. It's also supposed to be hot this weekend. Yeah. Right? So it's going to be in, in the 90s, and so they'll they'll finish crisping up. The midnight snack, I'm pulling two or three cherry tomatoes off of that plant every day. Nice. So that's just continuing to be a workhorse. The German Johnson is basically tapped out. I don't know what happened to it. It looks kind of fried. I don't think I let it get too dry. I don't know what's going on with that, but it looks like it's done for the season. And I am done with cucumbers, so I actually just <laughs> cut the plants right off at the ground level today. They've climbed up all over the chicken coop, but I'm going to let them dry out and whatever. It'll make them easier to pull down, but they're they're basically a menace at this point. I have way too many cucumbers, <laughs> and by that I mean way too many pickles. I must have put up, what, 40 jars of pickles, which is fine 
if anybody besides me in this house ate pickles, right? Like my family doesn't. I'm gonna have to give these things away. Do the chickens eat cucumbers at all? Yeah. If I cut them open first, if I just throw a cucumber at them, they don't know what to do with it. But if I if I cut it open and they can see the seeds, because that's what they want. They want the seeds, and so if I cut them open, they'll demolish them. Good, good. I imagine they could compost too. So. Yeah, I did. I got an email from a listener named Nicole who has. She tried a there's a there's apparently a sweet habanero which I did not know. So it tastes just like a habanero which is very very spicy except this one is not. It's I think she said it was about 10% the heat of a habanero and she said she's going to save me some seeds out of one of them and get them to me somehow so I'm going to grow those next year too. Oh nice. I feel like as opposed to cucumbers peppers I can do a lot with, right? Like sweet peppers my daughter's just going to eat right off of the plant. Uh, jalapenos. I have a bunch of jalapenos upstairs in my kitchen right now. I'm thinking about um, making a salad. Cause, so we're coming up to Labor Day and I'm doing a barbecue. And I have corn and I have tomatoes and I have jalapenos. All I need is some cilantro and lime and honey. And I'm going to be good to go to make a, a fairly fresh end of summer kind of salad. So Very nice. That's going to be good. Um, but no, the garden for next year in my head, really coming along. You know. Nice. Good. I'm still <laughs> debating where to, where to put it. Uh, we had one... So ours were Livingston Paragon tomatoes. We had two of those plants that succeeded. And the story is that Kayla looked up. I'm going to misquote this because she's the one that read it, not not I. But the story that she read was this guy Livingston back in the day. We presume. Wa- yes. Well, he was he was in someone else's garden maybe. And he was looking at the tomatoes. And they're like, hey, don't eat those. They're poisonous because tomatoes nightshade in the nightshade yeah. family. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll prove you. And so he started to uh, crossbreed or whatever um, tomatoes, and every one that he successfully cultivated, he named after himself. So there's a bunch of tomato varieties that start with Livingston and then something else after it. So we have the Paragon version. But one, the one in the bucket is, that's the one that's still laden with tomatoes, and uh, we're going to get a lot more tomatoes off that. They're very tomato-y tomato as well. If that makes any sense. Yep. And the the other one that's in the elevated box, it, I don't know if it's because at some point the one end sunk a little bit into the yard, so it's no longer level, and it's on the high end. But that one is looking tired, and it's none <laughs> of the tomatoes are going to get uh, bigger than like a racket balls that are left on there. Sure, sure. But they're gonna they're they'll ripen up, and we'll still find something to do with them. But yeah, that's my tomato story. Everything ended up in a bucket did really well for me. I put I had maybe ha- uh, habanero. I had one pepper plant that I had that it was overcrowded, and it stayed three inches tall all season. <laughs> and then I finally moved it to a bucket, and now it's starting to grow a little bit, but I don't think there's enough time for it to actually do anything. Our two or three, no, it's just two raised beds that we decided not to really plant anything in this year because the soil was not great that we put in there, right? Like we bought soil, and it just wasn't great. That happens. We're going to add to that all of our compost that's ready to go this year and then next summer next spring when we plant in there it's going to be fabulous right i had thrown into there all of the leftover um seed pots that didn't quite make it of all the tomatoes and peppers that i planted because some of them just didn't make it whatever that happens two more midnight snack tomatoes are coming up in that in that bed and they're they're never gonna fruit in time right? right like it's already september right there's no way Oh, unless, you know, unless the, the uh, climate change fairies really smile on us and we have growing season into November, which would also be disastrous. It's a terrible idea. But it's kind of cute to see them really trying, trying their yeah. best out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one. So I would uh, our cherry tomatoes. 
And I, th this was dumb of me because I just realized the other day as I was pruning it, I was like, wait a minute, there's tiny little baby tomatoes here. And I thought these were done. Um, so I'm leaving the rest of it there. But some of the clippings I was just putting in other buckets just as, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, to do, do its thing in there. And one of them took root in that bucket and is growing. And I'm like, you dumb thing. Because <laughs> that's the one where I nice. put the tiny habanero plant. So now I'm like, all right, I'm waiting to see which one is going to win. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, we, we've got nothing but space. We've got nothing but time in that backyard. So uh, if those little plucky, you know, midnight snack tomatoes uh, end up giving me tomatoes at Thanksgiving time, that's fine. I'm not going to I'm not going to fuck with them, you know, but I'm not really trying real hard. With them. Right. Right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, we are coming down to the end of it. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's the first week of September. If you're listening to this far in the future, you know, who knows? This could be the dead center of your uh, growing season, for all I know, way in the future. But uh, we should talk briefly about, I did just have my first full official week back to school and back to work with all the kids back and everything like that. So, I'm exhausted. And, uh, honestly, it went great. We, um are in and among the pieces and parts that contributed to, no joke, independently, almost every other department in the school reported to me at some point, smoothest opening of school they've ever seen. Wow. So the IT department said that, security said that, maintenance did not, but maintenance complains about fucking everything. <laughs> but um, we're talking the division heads, the department heads, I had teachers coming up to me, I had kids who were saying it's like I never left, you know? Which is great, except we did change a bunch of stuff, so I want them to be very aware of the things we changed. But honestly, my staff is happy. I'm happy. Uh, I was under budget for the first week, which is I'm a little worried that I did math wrong because the first week of school is when you buy like all of your stuff. You need to. It's like moving yeah. into a new apartment. You have to buy all of your food. That's what we did. I was about 800 bucks under budget. Against a three quarters of a million dollar budget for the year, that's nothing. But for me, I'm like, woo, under budget. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that can accumulate little by little yeah. over the year. Well, I hope that's the trend. Yeah. We did increase my food budget uh, because last year we had not increased it enough. And so what I need to do now is play a game. And again, we're hoping that my boss does not listen to this podcast for many reasons. <laughs> but I need to play a game. And it's like that old thing about the Defense Department, which is like if you don't spend the money this year, you don't get that same amount of money next year. I like that we might have increased my food budget too much. So now I need to play this game where I don't make it look like that's what happened. Right, because I, I would feel like by now I should be looking at next week like, oh, crap, how do I cut costs? And I'm going into next week like, Psh, we look great. But... A, I can't go over budget now because if it turns out we did increase it too much and we need to dial it back, then I'm going to be super screwed. But I also can't be like in the next two months, $20,000 under because then my boss is going to know that we made a mistake when we wrote the budget. And this is a mistake that benefits me and I want to keep it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Great. It's like if you were having a party and everybody chipped in 20 bucks and at the end of you getting everything together for the party, you're like, did I make $400 on this thing? <laughs> Just don't fucking tell anybody, right? Uh, your boss or the, the whoever it is at the school because they're not really boss but uh, if they worked in an institution at all they have to know that that's a thing because that's everybody yeah uh, yeah you know uh, that has a budget like that is like oh I got it it's reaching the end of whatever I have to spend all my budget or I don't get it next year yeah well the other thing is that I think what's happening right now because it's all one budget it is broken down into compartments right but next week is when we process raises for the staff, for the for the way. It was when I'm going to get a raise, right? And so I think the budget from last week 
I think there was a bit of a gap there because it had already calculated the rate increases for all of my staff who are getting significant raises this year. And so next week, my payroll is going to be heavier, and I think that's where that gap is. So yeah. I think I'm still going to be fine, but right now I'm just fist pumping left and right. <laughs> the fact that we had – because we were trying out a new structure that we had never done before. We, like, Ladies and gentlemen, it's like going into – for those of you who are in the restaurant industry, it's like going into a new – menu after you've, you've changed your menu seasonally you have no idea how much to prep so you basically prep everything as though every customer that comes in is going to eat just that one thing right which is not what you do you don't work at a steak place and you're like we're gonna prep the steak and the eggplant parmesan or whatever the same amount you're like eight people are gonna get this fucking eggplant parm we're not gonna but with this new menu we had to do basically a hundred percent of everything and then as the week went, we got our numbers together and we dialed it down. But, like, we burned through a lot of food last week. Yeah. And then we were under budget. And I was like, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> You know. But it might be premature adulation. Bingo. And I've got to be careful about that. I get cocky. I get I make decisions real fast. And I'm like, look at how awesome we are. And then I get uh, lazy. Right? And then I start to miss stuff. So I need to make sure that I don't do that. You know, the whole know thyself kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like you said, how can you know yourself first week? You got to, you know, a lot of there's new new kids there that have never been there before. Yep. And yeah, yeah. Holy smokes. Ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So again, welcome to the show. We talk about food. We talk about the restaurant industry. We talk about trends in markets. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about tipping today and things like that. If you are in my extremely narrow part of the industry, right, if you work in institutional food service in any way, so that's hospitals, that's schools, that's office buildings, this kind of stuff, where you have essentially a contained market and you have to, for one, you know, to one extent or another, cater directly to that market so that you like, you can't piss them off, right? We are seeing not only more allergies, but to my knowledge, weirder allergies, and the things that we were using as safety features for allergies, people are now allergic to, right? So let's say you're allergic to peanuts, Steve. I'm going to give you a sandwich made out of something called sun butter, which is sunflower seeds ground up with a little bit of oil, and it achieves this paste. It's kind of like peanut butter. It doesn't really taste like peanut butter, but if you're allergic to peanuts and so you don't really know what peanut butter tastes like, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have three kids at the school this year who are allergic to sunflower seeds sun butter and sunflower oil and this is not like the parents don't want them to have it which is another thing that happens this is like doctors you know have done allergy tests it's dismaying it's really really rough because then you get the kids who are allergic to sunflower oil and safflower oil and then you're like we cook in that nearly everything we have in this kitchen has that in it somewhere you can't have any of the vinaigrettes you can't have anything we saute you can't have anything we marinate like what what am i gonna do and that's, it's tricky. Two of those kids, we've never done this before ever at this school. Two of the kids have permission to bring their own food in every day. That's oh, a failure wow. on my part. Like that hurts professionally, but I cannot keep those kids safe. And we're not prepared to do it because it's not one of the allergens we track because it's so new. Yeah. It's wild. We do great work with peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, milk, gluten, all that kind of stuff. But man, safflower oil. That doesn't even need to be listed in the ingredients on something. You could have potato chips fried in safflower oil, and they don't have to tell you. Yeah. Because it's not a top allergen. It's terrifying. Is there anything on the market that w would work the same way that if you had to refit or retrofit uh, for, I mean, in terms of just product use? like 
I mean, I could get a straight corn oil, but there are issues there with how high of a temperature you can get corn oil to before it burns. And I could get straight olive oil, but you've got the same issue with that, too. And also, olive oil is really expensive, so you've yeah. got to watch that budget kind of stuff, too. And olive oil, I feel like, leaves more of a taste than some other oils. Like, um, Yeah. And not necessarily bad, but but different if you're not used to it. Like, if a French fry fried in olive oil, you're going to know it. I don't know. Well, and you're never going to get olive oil hot enough to fry a French fry, either. Yeah. It's going to well, be bitter and burned and gross. Is is rapeseed oil the same thing as safflower? I don't know the answer to that. That's the other thing, too. Like, I don't have... A, I'm a little bit coddled because Home Office gives us this enormous amount of information about allergens. On Home Office's part, it's legal. They want to make sure that everybody's as safe as possible so we don't get sued for anything, right? Like, yeah. you could die from some of these allergies, and we're very conscious of that. But at the same time, it makes me a little lazy because I'm like, oh, well, I'll just look it up in our intranet and home office has information. There's nothing about any of these oils at all because we haven't had to handle it before. Yeah. And I bet we won't for a while because this is really rare. It's super rare. Well, you will for the next four years or five. How long? K-8? Oh, well, so, yeah. But the thing is, is that we get kids at all different age levels who come in. Like if you move to a new school when you're oh, in yeah, middle sure. school or whatever. Sure, so sure. one of the kids is in. Well, one of the kids is in second grade and the other one's in fifth. So, yeah, we've got these kids for a while. And then one of them, one of them is not actually allergic to those oils, but is on an exclusion diet to try to find out, among other things, if these oils are what is causing this person's GI difficulties. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, that can be fun. And gastrointestinal. Yes. Not general imagery. <laughs> It's it's a wild scene out there. I just, again, like the work that I put into keeping these kids, and in some cases the adults, but for the first time ever we have a list of the adults who have allergies in the building. The work that we put into keeping these folks safe, I do because it's part of my job, I do because I care about them, and I do because like I'm putting that out into the world, and I'm hoping that people out there are also taking care of my kids the same way I am, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's that sort of a reverse karma kind of a thing. Uh, safflower is evidently in the same family as ragweed. Chrysanthemums, marigolds, daisies, and huh. uh, the like. According to WebMD, so, you know, I don't know if they're... <laughs> and it gives you cancer. <laughs> right. Call us now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, it, well, I mean, I guess at this point you're used to it being something yeah. new every year. <laughs> It was not one thing, it's another. My very first year at the school, I learned that if you are allergic to prickly pear cactus, you are also allergic to the part of the mango that is closest to the pit. There's some sort of an enzyme in there, right? Or something. Huh. Uh, neither of which we serve at the school, so I'm not really worried about it. Not for any particular reason, it's just that both of those things are expensive and weird. Right? Yeah. Like, yes, people love mangoes, but no, I'm not going to do mango for cut fruit for the day. Like, when we do cut fruit, it's like 80 pounds. I'm not cut... It'd be like 140 mangoes. No way am I spending my entire shift doing that, right? And I guess I could get frozen mangoes, but I don't want to. Uh, and prickly pear cactus, who the hell even eats that, right? Yeah. I think I mean, just Baloo. Right? Yeah, I was going to say Baloo from Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Sorry, I'm, I'm over here just chowing through. I'm into the second bag of the delicious Puerto Rican coffee that my family brought me back from Puerto Rico. And even though it's already 6.30 at night, I'm going to drink coffee because, again, I'm off for three days in a row. <laughs> what are your plans for Labor Day? We're, I'm going to try to get the floor back into my living room. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 
That's my plans. It's, it's a lot different from what I am normally doing. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not in the United States, because we do have international listeners, Labor Day in the this country celebrates the folks who initially unionized and who standardized a lot of the labor practices that we have in this country today, like the five-day work week, those bumper stickers that are like, if you like your weekend, thank a union member. Well, if you can find me one from 140 years ago, sure, I'll thank them. The ones now have nothing to do with my weekend. However, Labor Day does, it's ironic to me that Labor Day does celebrate the first, you know, the unionization and the, the labor standardization in this country. But it's not a holiday that anybody gets paid for. So it's yeah. a day off, unpaid if you're wage. W whatever. But it's a big grilling holiday. It's a big yeah. barbecue holiday. And I will be doing that this year. Some friends of ours are coming over. Actually, their daughter is spending the night here because she's a good friend of my daughter. And then Monday we're having a barbecue. I bought a brisket today. And I'm also going to do burgers for anybody who doesn't like brisket. And I'm doing potato salad and coleslaw because we are in the Midwest. And I bought chips and pop. And that's going to be our thing. Very nice. And so it does mean that on my day off, I have to get up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and fire up the smoker so that I can have a brisket smoked by the time it's dinner time. You know? <laughs> yeah, Labor Day in the States is also the unofficial uh, sort of end of summer. Yeah. Even though it's going to be pretty hot here uh, for the next few days. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it's the last hurrah for everyone trying to get in your last su summer activities before settling into whatever the next phase is, depending on where you live, I guess. Right. And traditionally, the school where I work has always started the week before Labor Day, which is weird, but I like it that we start, we do a full week, and then we have a short week the very next week because there's, there's no school on that Monday. Whereas my kids started two weeks before Labor Day this year, which is new for Chicago public schools. But private schools outside of Chicago haven't even started yet. It's wild. So uh, who knows? You know, it's, I still go back and forth about the school year kind of thing in my current professional position. Having summers off essentially guaranteed once again. Really hope my boss doesn't listen to this show. Love my boss. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not just saying that in case he does listen. He's great. But uh, I do love having my summers being very, very chill. But I don't know that the school year structure really serves people anymore because we don't all live on farms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. You know, you know, I'm not going to be able to be one of those people that was like, in my day, we went to school at starting and i don't remember when school started for us um like what how far before labor day oh, i know yeah, graduation I know. was in april um i think april's graduation month perhaps or was so i didn't go into may or june or maybe we did i don't know seniors got out early anyway yeah maybe no, I don't may, remember either. maybe it's may i don't know so well, yeah, I mean, but and you're steeped in what's going on now at the school you're at, so it's would have erased all that anyway. So it also yeah. makes me believe that those people were just lying, pulling that out of their their <laughs> uh, tiny buns. Yeah, some exactly. Somehow we always manage to start back to work where I have to physically be in the building on your birthday every year. <laughs> it's like August 14th, like clockwork, no matter when school's actually going to start. Somehow they manage to do it so that your birthday is always the actual official end of my summer. But this school year in particular, the way that they wrote the calendar, the calendar is a little malleable. I get it. It's based on weather in some cases and, and, and things like that. We're done like June 5th, which is a full week and a half earlier than it was last year, oh, which wow. I am looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we don't have like blizzardy snowstorms that shut the school down, because then they will have to add more days to the end right. of school year. Yeah. Yeah. I do not know. I'm not in charge of that that part of the thing, so. Eh. Which is good, a relief. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, I had one more thing to ask you. Oh, you want to talk about cereal real quick? Yes, because you've you've done some cereal experimentation recently. Yeah, ladies Is that and gentlemen. Yeah, I don't I don't know how many of you out there know this, but I'm a bit of a connoisseur of junk food. As much as I don't want to be, I just kind of am, and I'm fairly picky, but I'm not like based on quality necessarily. <laughs> So I did try the Lay's Cheetos flavored potato chips. Ah, uh, pretty darn good. There is something undescribable about the texture of a crunchy Cheeto that you can't get out of a yes. potato chip. However, the flavor, spot on. The Kit Kat cereal that I picked up. Not that it was a bad cereal, but I'm not just going to eat a Cocoa Puff cereal by itself for no good reason because i don't like that because it's not chocolate it's cocoa right it's a cocoa flavor yeah so i'm not just gonna like i'm not gonna buy cocoa puffs i'm not gonna buy cocoa krispies i'm not gonna buy any of those particular cereals but i thought okay Kit Kat, whatever it's flat waffle shaped cocoa puffs so i was disappointed but then i was also <laughs> angry at myself for thinking that they were not gonna be that right that's what they were don't get me wrong, my daughter and I ate all of them. It's not like they were garbage, right? Like, I have picked up some junk food where I was like, oh, this is truly terrible. And you throw them away. Yeah. I did, however, buy today, made by post, Honey Made Graham Crackers Company, s'mores of cereal. Steve, I have to tell you, delicious. And I hate to say that, really good. Nice, good. Tastes like s'mores. The only part it doesn't have is there's no smokiness. There's no carameliness to it. I feel like they could have figured that out. They didn't. It's a little bit lazy, but <laughs> really good. And I'm a little bit sad about it because uh, I think my kids understood what I was trying to do because they asked me how it was. And I said, you wouldn't like it. It's spicy. And their eyes lit up. So they must know that I was lying. <laughs> so by the time we're done recording this, it'll all of those will probably be gone. Um. So I have two things about cereal. One is uh, that so I have a neighbor who will um, well it very well intended, uh, like well good intentions, but will put like scraps out uh, in front of his house, which my dogs have now become accustomed to. So we book, <laughs> we book it there on our walk every morning yeah. to you know to check there first. And uh, the other day there were a bunch of frosted mini wheats, and the dogs were just chowing them down. And I don't know how, because I could never eat those dry. Uh, how, no, 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 no. How we continued our walk after that, I do not know. So that was the one thing. And the other thing is, I don't know how much you uh, attention you pay to the monster cereals. Um, not much. You're talking about like your Count Chocula's and your... Y yes. That's the only one I can come up with. Frankenberry? Frankenberry, Booberry. Okay. Those are the three I remember from my childhood. Frankenberry, Booberry, Count Chocula. Well, evidently, you know, there are more monsters, Ben. Oh, I watched the news. I know. Is there now a cereal that tastes like Ron DeSantis? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> you're welcome. That's a Florida joke, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. If you're um, if you're an international listener, listener, uh, Ron DeSantis is a complete asshole who wears white cowboy boots. If you can imagine that. <laughs> well, I mean, you you may not think he's an <laughs> asshole, but to kind of gauge the type of person he is, he would intentionally mispronounce words while on dates until he found a woman who did not correct him because he couldn't be married to someone who would correct him. So that's a story that was actually in, 
in legitimate news sources. So, yeah, that's the kind of guy that wants to be president of the U.S., so good luck there. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Split that ticket, baby. <laughs> uh, so, uh, go back over here. Um, but monsters. like monster, not uh, Imaginary monsters. Yes. So, there have been several monsters throughout the years, and last year, they re-released Fruit Brute. <laughs> I did not know that was a thing. Yes, and the, <laughs> it, it, this it was a wolf is the guy, and I there were it was after Halloween, and I was with my sister, and we were either at Costco or Sam's Club, and they were like dirt cheap for like one box of each of this, you know, like a cardboard box that had one box of each of the monster cereals oh, yeah, in it, yeah. and I got two of those because I was like, oh, I'm gonna make some um, marshmallow like Rice Krispie treats out of these things, and it's gonna be glorious. Um, oh. I did, and it wasn't, because the thing about Rice Krispies is they maintain their crunch, and this stuff yeah. just, it's like, it, even though they were fresh, they were stale, they tasted stale for whatever reason, it it makes them soft, so there's n- there's no crunch. Um, the s'mores cereal, flavor-wise, would make an amazing Rice Krispies. Oh. Uh-huh. So I'm talking like a stoner again. I don't know why I do this. I was never really a stoner ever. Yeah, I've been well, high a couple of times, but like that was never my jam. You need to the, go get the, a, go ahead. a couple more boxes and try it out. Because, I mean, I bought these two giant boxes of this to, to try it. And then after doing like one thing of it, I was like, well, now I'm eating monster cereal for the next half a year or whatever. You're um, right about the Rice Krispie Treat itself, though. That puffed rice does hold its crunch even in the Rice Krispie Treat form. Uh, and the the cereal, the s'more cereal, it's it looks like a um, cinnamon toast crunch wafer, right? Like it's that same square, it's the same depth and 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 texture and such. I don't know how it would behave in marshmallows, but damn it, if it's not worth a try. And I have two, well, I have a fourteen year old and two eleven year olds here this weekend, so I can make that and totally blame it on them. Yeah, <laughs> really, may all the kids wanted to try this. The, the my other, wife would never believe it she knows me too well but everybody else in the world would be like oh he's putting up with these kids <laughs> i would think that i would have thought that count chocula would have worked well with but like you say it's cocoa more than chocolate right yeah yeah um but even that because of the texture wasn't and the other thing about the the monster cereals is that they're so sweet that the extra sweet didn't help well and again there's that nostalgia sauce that if you don't have it the thing that you remember so fondly is probably garbage right like go back to the we talked about the international chicken sandwiches at burger king where i they brought back the italian chicken sandwich not long ago it was in the last couple of years and i told my kids about it and i took them there and i got one of those and they each got burgers and their burgers were terrible and my chicken sandwich was terrible and i was like <laughs> i'm so sorry all three of us have learned a valuable lesson here today we are going to continue to not go to burger king ever i think it might have been the only time in their lives they've ever been to burger king they had a bad experience i feel like i've done my job they're not going to go back <laughs> and a little part of me died because i really did love that sandwich but i loved that sandwich when i was a twerp at 15 years old right yeah. like that well, was a very long time ago I also feel like it has to be different. It cannot be the same. Could Something be, yeah. has to have changed. The sauce or the paste they call cheese or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, in, in other news, I want to get back to the cereal in a second. But in other news, yeah. um, Burger King is having to actually go to trial by jury over the Whopper thing. Oh, no kidding. Though, it, I guess when I was looking at it, it said that the, the judge sort of parsed it a little bit and was saying advertising is advertising. However, the picture on the display in the store could possibly be breach of contract 
Wow. It, because the picture's at point of sale. So it doesn't have to do with the advertising, but the, like on the menu board, if that's what you're ordering, then maybe maybe that is. He's like, I don't know. We should let a jury decide. Um, he said, like, I can't decide one way or the other whether or not that is, uh, you know. Wow. Um, Breach of contract. I don't know. There's got to be some sort of a common sense law to this, which is just like, look, you're getting what you're getting. You have to know. Like, nobody forced you to go into a fucking Burger King. You have to know when you choose to walk into that place that what you're going to get is maybe a half shade tastier than hot garbage. Yeah. Well, I mean, and are people going to start suing their Tinder dates when they show up in sweatpants because it's not wow. what, the same as the picture? You know, it's yeah, like. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question what precedent does that set because burger king was like look that that is the same patty that we put in all of our burgers yeah you know if it's gussied up a little bit then it's still all the same stuff that's all there you know nothing is misrepresented it's just you know you don't have a hand there for scale and even if you did whose hand you know but so anyway i thought that was interesting so we'll see how that pans out and what happens there um, I, I hope they settle in such a way that they're required to put underneath the picture that's at the point of sale a little disclaimer that says, uh, like, customer experience may vary or mileage may vary or yes. burger that you get may not be quite as pretty as this one. Something like that where they yeah. have to put in just like a little asterisk I mean, those people in like two-point font. That build houses in subdivisions or whatever. Does your house look exactly like the model? Probably not. Right. Um, for a variety of reasons it's like you can't you know you can't duplicate especially culinarily you can't duplicate something exactly yeah. unless even the stuff even like a swiss cake roll or whatever is going to vary a little bit and they have that and down to a science not to take burger king's side although i feel like this <laughs> is frivolous this is a thing that's never once been settled in restaurants and ladies and gentlemen once again if you want to be part of the show, here's a question you can answer for me. If anybody out there has an answer or an anecdote, tell me how you handled this in the past, right? Best way to get a hold of us is at um, in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. Uh, my Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds WBR.com. Here's my question because this has never been settled culinarily, business wise, customer relations wise, ever. Someone orders a dish, the kitchen executes the dish exactly how it is supposed to be done in the restaurant, the customer gets it, and they simply do not like it. There's nothing wrong with it, but they don't like it. What do you do? Yeah. Because any more, and I, at the risk of sounding like an old guy who's like, back in my day, we've talked about this horse before, Steve, when you and I were kids and we went out to dinner, it was a special occasion, we dressed up, we were polite, we were probably trod upon by the establishments, you know, because we were so nice about it, because we were so excited to be going out to dinner. And much like how people back in the day wore suits to baseball games and dressed up to go on airplane flights, and now you can just show up with no shirt on with flip-flops and and be all hungover and whatever, power's in the hands of the customers, and the customers are rude sacks of garbage. Any more... As a customer, it feels like if you go out to a restaurant and you order something and you don't like it, you're entitled to just send it back and get something else, and you're not having to pay for both of those dishes. However, from a business perspective, let's say I go to an oil change place, and they change my oil, and I drive away, and I'm like, you know what? I don't like this oil, even <laughs> yeah. though it's exactly the oil that I told them to put in there. 
Because they gave me a bunch of options. They were like, do you want the synthetic? Do you want the blend? Do you want the all-natural oil? Do you want the, like, baby oil or whatever? Flaxseed oil? I don't know. You want to put some safflower oil in there? I chose the one that I wanted at that moment, and then later on I decided I didn't want it. If I go back to that oil change place, they're going to be like, hey, we'll change it out for you. It's going to be another $110. Yeah. And I can't say to them, no, just take it out and put the new one in. I'm the customer. At a restaurant? That seems to be the thing. If somebody doesn't like their dish, they can just throw it on the ground and get a new one for free. So if anybody out there has the answer to that, because I do not, I would love to hear what it is. This is my answer. So the the dish is what? Let's say the dish they got is uh, 15 bucks. Okay? And including them, there are 15 people in the restaurant. I'd be like, attention in the restaurant. This person did not like their dish. I will give them a new one without charging them any more if everyone here is willing to pay an extra dollar on their bill. <laughs> because that's who's eating, eating it anyway, right? Yeah. You have to, the, the, the cost has to go somewhere. So if that happens a lot, then you have to raise your prices across the board. So if they're all willing to divvy it up among everybody else, then I'll bring you bring you a new dish. But if not, sorry, you, you got to whoever, you know, if someone's like, I'll give three dollars. like, all right, your next dish is going to be 12 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, I mean, there are ways that restaurants handle it in a damage control kind of a sense where, right, yeah, like they'll say, look, we feel, you know, we're so sorry you didn't like this thing. We will, and like if a, a savvy floor manager or server or whatever says, you know what, I can't just like get you a new thing. Let me comp your next drink. Yeah. Giving them a little thing that is worth far less than a new dish that just, you know, lets them know that it's like, look, this isn't our fault, but we're willing to do a little nice thing for you or, you know, your desserts on us or whatever. Yes. If the customer pushes it, what you then do is you go into damage control mode and you remember the customer for next time. And you keep an eye on them because the, the, if they do it the next time, then you go, oh, this happened last time. This is clearly a scam. Like you are trying to defraud this restaurant. Right? Yeah. And again, you can, like, now, anymore, fuck them. You can have conversations like that with customers where you can just be like, oh, I remember you doing this exact same thing last time. Or when they order, if they order the thing that they said they didn't like, you go, you didn't like this last time, do you recall? That kind of thing, right? Well, and with uh, programs like Open Table or whatnot, you can keep those notes, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to be on top of it. It takes a little bit of extra work. And you have to decide as a business owner if it's worth it to you, right? Because then that person's going to go on Yelp and be like, they were mean to me because I said their food was bad. Like, well, you were wrong about it, and then you turned into a mean person about it. So, yes, they were <laughs> mean to you back. Fine. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, let's get into this article that we skipped a while back. Oh, wait. Let me let me finish oh, with cereal sorry. first. Yes. I yeah. want to finish oh, with the monster let's cereals. Let's go way back to the monster cereal. Yes. Way, way, way back. Okay. Um, just uh, some guessing. How old do you think Count Chocula is? When did Count Chocula start production? Well, I mean, 81? You're a decade off. 71 71 wow. it's still in production seasonally so between 1971 and 2010 they still produce it seasonally the same thing with frankenberry oh uh, count chocolate's tagline is tagline is i want to eat your cereal <laughs> okay um frankenberry i don't think they at least on wikipedia they don't have listed a tagline uh frankenberry is supposed to be strawberry flavored strawberry flavored corn cereal bits i guess they're corn cereal bits um 1971 is one. Booberry, 1973. Okay. Um, so they had success with the first two and thought, let's go wild. Yep. Blueberry flavored. Uh, Fruit Brute um, was introduced in 74. They thought they were on a roll. Discontinued in 82. Re relaunched in 2013. Discontinued 2014. And relaunched in 2022. 
in the the big box, and I believe it is uh, cherry, cherry flavored bits. Yes. So to go back to your frosted mini weights thing, and we're spending a lot of time on sugared cereals today, which is fine by me. <laughs> uh, frosted mini weights, uh, frosted mini weights, I like. I don't get them a lot, but I get into like a groove with them, and I'll buy them a lot. Yeah. For a short amount of time. All of their flavored ones, because they have a strawberry, they have a blueberry, and they have a cinnamon. The cinnamon one is okay. The strawberry and the blueberry one both taste like varieties of cough syrup. They're <laughs> gross. They're fucking gross. They need to go away. Well, this says that originally Fruit Brute was uh, fruit-flavored cereal with lime-flavored marshmallows. Lime and milk. Nah. No yeah. bueno. Well, that's why it lasted a little less than a decade. And when they I relaunched mean, it, it's cherry flavored with just as marshmallows. There's no. I guess I would. I would eat a lime frozen dessert, like a maybe a lime ice cream. Usually, well, like a lime is like a sorbet or something. Yeah, and cherry lime is a combination. Cherry lime, yeah, cherry but, lime uh, is my favorite flavor of Gatorade. Um, currently, fruit brute. Fruit brute. They're uh, fruit brutes. That's <laughs> harder to say than one would have thought. Probably why it was discontinued. <laughs> fruit brutes uh, tagline uh, is slash was the howling good taste of fruit, which I don't. They didn't think a lot. That that's more about the brute than the fruit. I think that sounds like they had three slam dunks in a row and they got cocky and said, "Let's fire these marketing guys. We don't need them." Well, it really goes off the rails then with fruity yummy mummy. Yee. Which was 80, introduced in 87, discontinued 92, relaunched in 2013, discontinued 2014. And uh, originally, it was fruit-flavored cereal with vanilla-flavored marshmallows. Okay. And the relaunch is frosted orange cream-flavored cereal with marshmallows. Because okay. I think they decided, we're not going to flavor our marshmallows. Everyone gets the same marshmallows. Done. <laughs> Except maybe Count right. Chocula. And the tagline here is, fruity yummy mummy makes your tummy go yummy. Heh heh heh. Like, I think there's a laugh after it. It's H-E-H, H-E-H, H-E-H. So, I don't know, Yummy Mummy. Yeah, it sounds like it was written by that children's musician, Raffi. Yes. <laughs> um, Raffi also sounds like the one guy from uh, the X-Files episode, Clive Bruckheimer's Final Repose. But I think it was Yappy. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, this year, they've introduced a new one. Uh-oh. Brand new... I saw it. I didn't know if it was brand new, but this confirms that it is. Um, Carmella Creeper. They're trying to be a little hip, I think, because she's a cartoon zombie DJ. Oh, okay. Um, and it's caramel apple flavored uh, bits with marshmallow. And gr it's green. It's very green. And they haven't uh -huh. had a zombie, so zombie was zombie is in. Zombies are green, too. Okay, I get that. So uh, that's the one for this year. Speaking of, my son has a cell phone now, and uh, he had an alarm going off on his cell phone that said MC Backyard. And I thought, that's odd. I didn't know my son had a job uh, as a DJ for block parties. <laughs> so I went up to him and I said, Cyrus, do you have a uh, job as a DJ for block parties? And he said, what the heck are you talking about? I said, you have an alarm going off on your phone that says MC Backyard. And uh, it turns out that my wife wants him to draw a map of our backyard in Minecraft so that they can manipulate things and they can figure out how they want the backyard to look for next summer. <laughs> it is not that my son is becoming a DJ who specializes in backyard parties and block parties. 
Uh, yo, yo, and yo, I'm a little MC Backyard. Exactly. I'm a little disappointed now. I thought he had a rad DJ name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MCBY. Exactly. Uh, but no. It's a shame. He would play nothing but Tears for Fears anyway, which I would quite enjoy, but I don't know that anybody <laughs> his age would. He is only 14. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, done with cereal? Yes, your article. The Great. article. So, we were talking about somebody sends their food back just because they don't like it. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I ruined a segue and with my cereal. I blame no, 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 no. Yummy Mummy. I got away from the cereal. And it was my fault. Like, we're doing this. We're reverse volleying. <laughs> we're stealing the ball from each other. Uh, and so, you brought up the idea of asking everybody else in the restaurant to pay a little bit more. Yep, yep. That's not wrong necessarily in, in that particular situation that would be that would be like public shaming of somebody who just didn't like their food which would be weird and is a bad business model however i'm looking at this article from the block club chicago from a couple of days ago a couple of weeks ago frustrations mount over restaurant surcharges but owners say fees are necessary for survival it's an article by mina bloom the cost of food staff shortages and other issues are forcing restaurants to make tough choices owners said it's a constant battle Short story, Steve, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, either in person or you've seen people complaining about this or you've seen it reported in places that now restaurant receipts are starting to look like your ComEd bill, right? Lots of little extra things on there, right? And as much as we now live in a country and we live in a culture and a, a time period where people like to customize stuff, they don't like to have things customized at them, right? So like right. if you run a restaurant and you go, hey, everybody, guess what? I'm going to figure out exactly how much my cardboard recycling costs and I'm going to divide it up and I'm going to put a little bit of a, on everybody's bill and I'm going to put on there, you know, waste management, cardboard removal fee, and it'll be a nickel for everybody who comes in. Nobody wants to see that on the bill, right? So yeah. I am going to get through. This is a very well-written article, but there's a lot of fluff in the top that just sort of sets the scene that I don't need to relate here. Um, but this is a story about a couple of people who went out to dinner. This time, the bill included a 2.9% surcharge. This fella and his friends were flummoxed. My friends visiting from France were like, what's this? We haven't seen this anywhere, Lawrence said. Now, let's talk about the French for a second. In France, you don't tip because servers get a living wage. It's a profession that you can be proud of and you can actually retire from. And so a lot of stuff about American restaurants doesn't make any lick of sense to the French. Yep. So these are the perfect people to scoff at an extra charge on a bill. So this is kind of stilted. Inst quote, instead of raising menu prices, restaurants across Chicago started adding surcharges onto bills during the pandemic to cover things like delivery fees, employee health care, and masks. The practice was well understood as a response to the acute economic pressures and public health dangers that defined the early days of the pandemic. But a few years later, even as much of life has returned to normal, the surcharges haven't gone away. In fact, they're becoming only more common, making dining out more costly than ever before. I just gut reaction, Steve. How do you feel about the whole concept? I I'm I stick with what we've said before. If you're going to raise your price, you just raise your price. When I get my electric bill and there's a customer fee, customer service fee or something like that, it's like I don't know what that is. That doesn't make me feel good. Right. So I'm I'm 100% behind you on that. So I feel like it is the necessary thing to do is bring more dollars in the door. There's a couple of different ways to do it. One of them is to get more people in. 
right? And that's by having a good product and having people talk about, you have to go to this restaurant. I was talking to a musician who comes to the school because we have little, little, little kids at the school and they do music on Fridays. And there's this guy named Todd who comes to the school every Friday and I love him. He's great. He and I were talking and I asked him, no, he came up to me because I'm the food service guy at the school, right? I'm Chef Ben. And he goes, dude, there's this restaurant you've got to check out. And he launches into this long story about a restaurant that I love that's in my old neighborhood. <laughs> All right? And he gets, I let him go. And I get to the end of the story and I was like, I love that restaurant. I've been there a bunch of times. We went there for my wife's birthday last year. We went for my birthday the year before. We went for our anniversary the year before that. Like, I love that place. That's what you want. And that's one of the best ways to get people in. That's yes. how you get money in. Or, like you just said, raise menu prices. Fine. What people, I think, don't dig about these service fees is that it feels, like you were just saying, it feels like a trick. Yes. If you look at a $15 burger on the menu comes with fries and uh, a little dipping sauce or whatever, fancy burger, and then you get to the bill part of it and it's $15 for a burger plus this, plus this, plus this, you feel really taken advantage of by the pluses as opposed to, I don't know how you would feel about the burger being seventeen fifty. But at least you knew about that right off the bat. Yes. And you could make an educated decision. Bingo. And this this is what that does to me. It's like, so I look at the menu or, or uh, that's posted outside or whatever. If I'm if it's a place where there's a several restaurants and I'm trying to make a decision. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I go in a place. And you know what? Yes, I'm going to pay it. Congratulations. You got me. I'm never going to set foot in your restaurant again. It's off-putting. So that's one of the things when I used to teach cooking classes, invariably, and I had a... <laughs> I had a uh, uh, long-standing regular this dude was a single uh, doctor probably in his early 50s who had never married never really wanted to he was just kind of a loner but he needed something to do so he took a lot of these cooking classes and he would take the ones that like he and i developed a rapport and he would not take the ones from the visiting chefs he would just take classes from me he pointed out to me he goes why are all of your desserts in your in your full menu classes why are they all chocolate and i said well because when people leave with the taste of chocolate in their mouth they leave happy if you feel like you got tricked by that bill, you're not leaving with chocolate in your mouth. No. Right? You're leaving grumpy. You're leaving yes. with a bitter taste in your mouth. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. And and it's it's a ploy on and it's it's not the it's not the cooks that are making this decision. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the people, it's not the waiters, the wait staff that's making this decision. It's it's a business ploy and it's disingenuous and uh, it's uh, trickery and it needs to stop it can't it, it is unsustainable yes i understand and i'm very sympathetic that you need to bring more money in the door charge more for coke charge more f uh, for the, your side of fries you know yeah. there there are ways other places where you can just add um, a little bit here and there to make some of that up and if that's not enough then raise the menu price across the board a dollar dollar 50 or whatever it is that you yeah. need to do to get where you need to do to uh, or where you need to be in order to pay people a decent wage and um you know have a sustainable business uh but the the other is it's you can't it's not going to work i hate it i hate it when i get my equipment rental fee on my uh at&t bill because i own my damn router and i'm not renting that but oh it's not a rental fee it's just an equipment fee and it's like so for the privilege of using my own equipment but it's like i can't yeah. there's nothing there's zero arguing i can do there it is a fee that they have so they can get an extra however you know eight bucks or five bucks or whatever it is from me every month and there's nothing zero i can do about it yeah um but I don't want to, you know, at a restaurant, I would be, I would be extra pissed. So I don't want to lose this thread, but 
my timer just went off for my bread. Oh, so do it. Do right it. Right back. Um, I have I have a number of things to say, but I'm just going to sit here being all anxious about my bread if I don't go take care of this. <laughs> Yeah, Ben is going to go play with his little buns, um, which he does from time to time. It's just, if you know Ben, you you get used to it. He excuses himself. Uh, he'll disappear, uh, play with his little buns, and then come back. Um, usually happier because of because of it, which is good. I mean, you know, you got to do what makes you happy. And uh, very rarely does it make him sad unless something, you know, if he burns his buns or, you know, something like that, then... Uh, it could, you know, you understand how that could be upsetting, right? So, you know, it's just, it's it's a Ben thing. I'm surprised he's talking about it. I'm happy that he's finally talking about it, you know, um, in front of people or where people can, can hear because it's been, I would imagine, a burden for him for a, a long time just, just having to be, um, you know, so all that, that little bun energy pent up like it is, but... You know what he's talking about now, which is good. He's got to get it out. Um, it's about time. So. So if you see Ben, just ask him about his little ones. I took that opportunity to also get another cup of coffee. I'm not oh. talking fast enough yet. <laughs> I, did, I did fill all that time. So you have to go back and listen. <laughs> nice. Last thing you said was... I'd be pissed. You'd be pissed. If, if I, I, that appeared on a restaurant bill. So I had two things to say about that. The first one is... Well, three things. The first thing is, is I totally agree with what you said. Uh, I don't currently run a restaurant. However, I can 100% tell you that if I was faced with, we need to make more money on the items, we need each ticket needs to be more expensive... I'm not nickel and diamond people because I know how much I hate that one is done to me, right? What I have seen in a number of places is a posted sign and a social media blast that'll last a day, maybe two. That's like, look, everything sucks and everything's expensive. We are raising our menu prices. Suck it, right? Like people are, are not necessarily being super grumpy about it, but they are just being like, look, we are having to do this. Everything is more expensive right now, including raw product. We're raising our prices. Nothing else is changing. This is the world we live in. And for the most part, when I see these things coming up, restaurants that I follow online, the comments are generally pretty neutral or positive, where people are like, I'm glad you're still in business. I'm happy to pay another buck if it means that your staff has health care, right? Things like that. That's what I'm hearing. It's that trick at the end of the bill of a 2.9% yes. increase yep. that, is, that is getting people. The other thing is, I've got to go back to training. None of us are trained to do the math part of this job. None of us are trained to do the people management part of this job. None of us are trained to do the HR part of this job, right? There's just not the resources out there for that. You go to culinary school. I had one class that lasted two weeks, and I loved my culinary school experience. One class that lasted two weeks about how to open a restaurant. And I'm pretty sure they were wrong about most of what they told us. Nothing about how to manage people, how to deal with HR stuff, how to anything, right? It was all food. 
And maybe culinary school should be all food. Maybe there should be a different thing for running a restaurant school. I don't know. However, you can be all super idealistic and we're going to make everything from scratch and all this kind of stuff. But if you're like, I'm going to the farmer's market every single day for all of my ingredients, it's not going to work. You have to make decisions about like, you know what? I'm going to make my own barbecue sauce, but I'm going to get ketchup in cans to make that barbecue sauce. I'm not going to start with fucking tomatoes, right? Yeah. Because of labor, because of spoilage, because of cost, right? So like you can look at your menu and you can just say to yourself like, what's important to me? What shows? What is super, like if I do a caprese salad, everything on that plate has to be fresh and perfect. Great. If I'm doing a burger and ketchup and fries, not every single piece of those dishes has to be the absolute peak thing, right? Like if it ain't Heinz 57, people are actually going to be mad about that. Just get the thing. Everybody knows it's going to be great. Like, if you're just getting a commodity beefsteak tomato to go on that burger, fine. Everybody's there for the burger. They're not real. Like, you don't see people going into a burger place like, man, I can't wait to get the tomato on my LTO setup. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's part of the band, but you don't really care, you know? Yeah. So, like, the things that are featured, the things that are important, the things that really show, yeah, spend your money on those. But you need to be able to make intelligent choices as a chef, as a kitchen manager, as a, a, a yeah. per, like a, a purchaser, whatever, about where you put your money and where you just don't need to, right? And you can you can find money in those places as well. Here's a thing that I do um, I wouldn't have thought about until recently, and I do wonder how it's affecting the restaurant industry. The restaurant industry, in some ways, has a leg up, but let me explain. So I'm perhaps going to be teaching an improv class at a local theater. Right now, it doesn't look like that's going to happen because one person has signed up and they have to have <laughs> at least six. Um, and there are a variety of reasons why um, that it might be low. But I heard from them when I first started talking to them that since the pandemic, it's been tough getting people to sign up yeah. for classes. Yeah. Uh, spoke with the program director at the library here. I am going to do try to do something there as well. Um, a little short four-week thing. Um, to t I'm just trying to get the feel for Niles and, and if there's anyone interested in that sort of thing or and that kind of thing. And she said, you know, before the pandemic, I could have told you Tuesday's a great day to do stuff. Do it on Tuesday. She said, now I have no idea. I have huh? no idea when, what day is a good day to do programming because everything is different. And part of it is, well, so, and then I just saw an article, Steppenwolf had to cut their staff by 12%. Steppenwolf, I saw that same article, yeah. World-renowned regional theater. Uh, lots of... Uh, very well-known Hollywood types still come back and do plays because they're from Chicago or or did Steppenwolf when they were younger or whatever. Um, fabulous uh, by all rights. And they had to cut their staff because the, the money to keep people finally ran out and they have not caught back up to pre-pandemic levels with stuff. Their subscriber base went from 10,000 to 6,000. Um, wow. and, and you think about people that go to theater, a lot of blue hairs and who might legitimately be still concerned about COVID and being in a, in a place like this. And the other thing that the article was talking about was during the pandemic, people got used to streaming stuff at home and not going out. Yeah. And, and there is a lot of legitimately very good, uh, quality, high quality stuff that you can stream. So th there's the added, I think it's set theater back you know, a decade at least in terms of uh, proselytizing and getting people to come to theater, um, <laughs> live theater. They said, you know, concert venues, concerts and sports, that's still a big draw. Yeah. Uh, but that's stuff that you can't equate or, or, or get the equivalent of 
at home because even if you watch a, a, a sporting event at home, it's not the same as being there. And the, though the same is true of theater, you know, the branding and, and all that is different. So I do wonder, especially considering with what the librarian told me or the program director about in terms of, yeah, I used to think that Tuesday was a great day. Uh, is there anything, ha, has the dust settled yet in the restaurant industry? And if you're still doing a restaurant, you were doing a restaurant before and you're doing a restaurant now, is the, is, is your calendar accurate still in terms of we know that we're going to have a surge here. We know that these days are going to be busy. We know that, you know, Mother's Day is going to be huge. I imagine some of that is still true, but has anything changed? I am just curious if and how that's that's because I think that's part of the money thing, too, is if you're not seeing the number of people, your, your money is going to be hurting a little bit. And you might yeah. have to uh, try to compensate for some revenue loss that way. That's a question for the group, right? So, like, I can't answer that question myself. But I would say that, like, let's say Halloween is on a Sunday at a bar and grill or a bar or even, like, an upscale casual or, like, a fancy burger place or whatever. And I'm thinking about fancy burger place right now, Restaurant B. If if Halloween's on a Sunday, you're busy – busier than normal because of halloween friday through monday right just because that's how it goes if i'm trying to think of other holidays where that happened god a lot of it was halloween st patrick's day let's say st patrick's day is on uh because that's that's a date right like that falls on different days let's say st patrick's is on a tuesday you're busy Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, (laughs) you know, but what we are finding now is, yes, the pandemic sort of dropped everybody's desire to go out down a couple of steps and that's rebounded, but it hasn't rebounded and then gone above by any means, right? Yeah. Also, the same people, the same like Gen Y, millennials and whatever that next generation is after millennials. These are people who do not have access to the same amount of funds that their parents did, that our parents did, right? Like, the same people, our parents and their their generation, who were like, I worked one job, paid my way through college, and bought a house. And it's like, yes, college was $500 a year, and your house costs a nickel. So, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what happened. <laughs> but, like, right now, I just read a report today that average rent in this country is $1,700 a month. Average Ugh. payment for a mortgage is $2,500 a month. Ugh. So that's average, right? And wages have not kept up with that. So you've got two generations, at least, the two generations younger than us, who are, A, having either one kid or zero kids because they can't afford it, and B, they are not doing the luxury purchasing if that's experiences or if that's products that previous generations did so like if you've got a big party weekend of some sort like a spring break or a uh, valentine's day even or st patrick's day those numbers i'm sure have got to be down because people our age aren't going out drinking on st patrick's day we would simply die from that because we're too old (laughs) yeah and the kids younger than us can't afford to do it yeah so i bet it is tough to sort of project that stuff out when you're planning out your business month because yeah five years ago st patrick's day would be the biggest day of your year running a bar and now it's like eh, it's not crickets but it's not huge and everything that you're bringing in is also more expensive so you're getting it coming and going yeah well and the i mean the battle forever with theater is as uh this isn't the best way to phrase it but uh quantity or quality 
Yeah. Because I lived in Chicago for what, five years, four or five years. Did I ever go to Steppenwolf? No, I couldn't afford to go to Steppenwolf. <laughs> and I, I mean, I love the theater, but I couldn't go. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, the, the prices are such that they price things so that they can afford to put on shows. And, and the other thing they said, the same as I'm sure uh, a lot of kitchens are feeling is um, to build a set, to build a salad or whatever costs more now than it did before. Yeah. So they're, you know, more money's going out the door or going out the window and less is coming in the door. So you've got to figure that out as well. Um, I feel like it's maybe easier in theater to be like, well, let's just, you know, because theater, the only thing really required is the actor and an audience, you know, um, yeah. and you can put on a show. It's a little bit more complicated when you're doing, you know, a restaurant, though you can, like you said, you can pare down your menu. You can remove yeah. some stuff that costs a little bit more. You can go with some a little more uh, basic. Is that the word we want to use? Uh, well, and I don't even I'm, I don't even want to recommend that folks do that. It's just take a hard look at your menu and think to yourself, like. Do I need shell eggs for everything? Or some of these things that I'm cracking eggs and having to whisk them and put them into something, can I buy those cartons of eggs, which are yeah. just eggs? Right. They are cheaper by volume. And yes, you want to use the crack eggs for the fried egg you're putting on top of your burger or whatever. You're not going to do a poached egg out of a, out of a carton. But if you're making cakes and stuff like that, you do not need fucking shell eggs. And you can save money that way. There are, way, there are smart ways to do that that the pride in us doesn't want us to do because it's a convenience product right yeah now i was just thinking about what you said about theater and 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 people getting accustomed to streaming stuff you can't really stream theater in the same way that like so so theater is the french fries of entertainment world, yeah right like yes theater an indelible part of enjoying a theatrical experience is the fact that not only are you at the space but the space then transcends that space and you are then somewhere else and you are experiencing it with other people like the creepiest thing in the world would be to go to a show by yourself that'd be yeah like with nobody else in the audience that would be yes. extremely weird but the 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 magic of theater is that once you are in that space and your disbelief is suspended that space becomes somewhere else like you've been transported you can't do that shit at home same yeah. way that you can't have good restaurant quality french fries at home you cannot take them home they're like the theater you take home is going to be squishy and cold that's not yes. cool nobody wants that well and the, but i think people aren't choosing theater then they're choosing the streaming right. services instead and then for the the restaurant equivalent of that would be well you know yes i could spend some extra money and i could go to restaurant b and enjoy the atmosphere and being there and getting it brought to me and and every, because being in a restaurant is very different than eating at home yes or i can order a burger a subpar burger from doordash but you know what it's brought to me yep. i just grab it from the door i can sit here on my couch and and you know be on my phone or watch something else and and then i don't have to put up with the hassles that are involved with going there um one of the things Stephen said is like people don't want to come into the city um yeah so that's yeah. why i'm wondering like how because people are a lot of people i think are accepting even with the excellent streaming it is not the theater so they're accepting a subpar thing instead of the other experience for whatever reason, because we're used to it, because we're still have some anxiety about get going out. Um, I mean, I know a lot of places they sold all their igloos and stuff, right? So they're not yeah. going to be doing outdoor dining in the winter. But I, I, you know, maybe is that still a thing? Would that be a draw? What are people having to do to draw people in? And um, what are, what are you know what what is Steppenwolf going to have to do to bring people in um, to to try to make up for uh, some lost 
revenue. I don't know. I also, I hate to say it, but I feel like we're hitting a generational gap, right? Where if I'm looking at things to do for the evening, am I even looking at theater? I don't know. Because I think that I was, I've, I've enjoyed every single theatrical performance I've ever been to, but it's never been a thing that was like at the top of my list to seek out. And yeah. then throughout the pandemic, as we did fewer and fewer things out there and people who did bring things into the home, the streaming services, they capitalized on it so much. I'm lazy now. And I'm like, man, there are a lot of good TV shows that I yeah, can just well, and watch on my laptop. Yeah, you know? legitimately are. And you're right there. That that can't be um, the experience of dining in like that. That has I don't think it has been replicated to that degree because it's not like, right. I mean, unless it's pizza. You could be like, oh, I can get a really good pizza delivered. But you yeah. can't be like, you know, I'm going to get a really good uh, uh, beef Wellington delivered or, or whatever. Um I couldn't think of anything. It has not been replicated in a mass market kind of way. But like we saw throughout the pandemic, the folks who are now private chefs who do, you know, even just like they work for a family and they make two meals a day for a family all the way up to they're on call to do in-home parties for like 20 people at a shot. Uh, that business, that part of the industry is booming. And if you can afford it, that is yeah. the that is the restaurant experience in your home. And people yeah. are capitalizing on that and Damn, it sounds like a great gig. Uh, I I am probably I'm too uh, used to the work I do now to get into something like that. <laughs> yeah. Have I done things like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always open to doing in-home dinner parties because they're a fuckload of fun too. And not to ruin that part of the industry for anybody who's making bank doing it, but the people who will pay for an in-home dinner invariably overpay. It's great. <laughs> it's great money because we also in the industry because we're suckers we undervalue our own time every yep, time i do absolutely. an in-home dinner every single time i'm astonished at how much they want to pay for me to do it i take it but i'm shocked by how much they want to pay <laughs> and it's because i've spent the last 30 years undervaluing my work and my time yeah <laughs> you know while at the same time i'm super cocky and kind of arrogant i also deep in my heart undervalue everything i do and so when somebody wants to hand me this big old fat envelope of cash for coming to their house and making fresh pasta and whatever, I'm always shocked. And then I take the money and I do stupid shit with it, like buy energy drinks and, uh, you know, count chocula. <laughs> like Serge oh, with man, a J. I can't wait to try that stuff. There's a, I, I didn't give you the full backstory, Steve, but ladies and gentlemen, I did send Steve a link to a... Uh, it's not an energy drink. It's a dissolve-in-your-mouth pill that's like a pre-workout thing made by, or made for, I guess, this Instagram fitness guy named Tank. Tank Tolman. <laughs> who is also like, because, you know, the Instagram fitness guys are all, to a guy, obnoxious. They are the fucking worst. This dude, however, is all positivity. All he like he does these role playing things where he's talking directly to the camera like it's actually a human being in the room and he's offering hugs and he's telling you it's gonna be okay and you know you had a bad day and stuff. Dude is actually really kind of amazing. <laughs> and then he's like, "No, nah, I have a workout pill," and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, I'm buying this stuff." I have not bought it yet, but it is S U R J Surge. <laughs> yeah. And because I have been like now, Steve, two weeks in a row, I bike to work every single day. 
which is great. Bike to and from work. It's 14 miles a day. Feel great about it. Haven't lost a pound, but my legs hurt all the time. So that's the <laughs> result. Uh, but I'm tempted to get that stuff and then pop one of those pills right before I get on my bike. I'm afraid I might have a heart attack. You just never know. And the last thing I want to do is have everybody find me just like dead on the ground halfway to work. That's not cool. Are you still making your own pills with coffee grounds and whatnot? Absolutely. Those things are great. So, yeah, I mean, the combination, who knows <laughs> what that would do to you. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, you'd have I'm to call mess. it. So j- just the one pill is surge. That plus yours is storm surge. <laughs> right. Surge to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's wild times out there. Currently, I'm just on a mix of those homemade caffeine um, fiber pills and uh, the Kirkland brand 5-Hour Energies, which, by the way, have basically the same exact shit as the uh, regular 5-Hour Energies. They're just, you know, 40% the price. They were just prescribed by Bones. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get a box of them for, like, that's, like, 60 or something. Yeah. I I have part of my filing cabinet at work is just energy drinks and that's the one I keep locked. <laughs> yeah. From like do you hide the key? Do you give the key to someone else or you have it locked to prevent other people from getting it? To prevent other people from getting okay. in there. Not that I think anybody would, but you never know. It's not like um, you hide the key from yourself because you're afraid no. you're going to get in there. Nah. No, no, no. I am well aware that, like any drug, the more of it you take, the more frequently, the less effect it has. So I dole them out to myself judiciously. I'm, I'm pretty stingy to myself about it. I did find one at 7-Eleven, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have some variety in your energy drink life, man, go to 7-Eleven. They've got a wild grab bag. They actually have one that I feel like could probably answer all my life's questions and fix all of my problems. It is an energy drink called Cheer Up. which is exactly the wrong thing to say to anybody who's depressed uh and so i keep a bottle of that on my desk and i just offer it to people all day (laughs) because i'm kind of not nice (laughs) it is not i believe uh actually any good to diagnose or treat legitimate mental illness one of these days because it's sat there so long the ch is just going to peel away and you're going to see a j (laughs) right right uh, it makes me a little angry that I did not come up with that myself. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> I mean, so uh, could the Burger King guy sue them if it didn't make him happier after he drank it? Probably, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I did want to wrap up the whole thing we were talking about about uh, uh, surcharges with this one note that I hadn't really thought about from a restaurant owner, which is when people look at your uh, restaurant websites, right, like your Yelps and your. Um, trip advisors and stuff like that those ones do they don't rank but they do indicate on there how expensive a place is going to be and once you go over a certain threshold it goes from like two dollar signs to three or whatever so this quote is from the owner of oh managing this is peter door managing director of hospitality business association of chicago quote when people see a $20 burger, they're like, that's outrageous, or they don't even see it at all because they're searching for the $2 sign places, Door said. Owners are trying to avoid positioning their place at the high end of the market, and a surcharge is one way to do that. So we can legitimately say that some of these business owners are not raising menu prices, but are raising ticket prices because what they want to do is not show up as being an expensive restaurant on these search engines. That's still kind of sketchy. Well, and how is that ranked? Is it an algorithm that's looking, like, scanning your menu? 
or is it people that are because like with Google, I think it asks you and then you you, you doing it yourself. So people are going to look at the surcharge, add that to their bill and be like, I didn't walk out of there for a three, three fork price or whatever it is. I'm going to it's a four fork four four dollar sign. And eventually you're going to get there anyway. I would think. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I would imagine that there are ones that have it report. Well, like, let's say you were to look at DoorDash or Grubhub or something like that. I bet you they rank that based entirely on menus that they've drawn from the websites. I mean, that's got to suck as well with speaking of when they're when they're scraping your data to create their own thing. And then they're char- they're not charging people your uh, 10 percent whatever <laughs> fee. Right. But but they still want to order the food and deliver it to the people because they're DoorDash. I don't know. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's another thing that I want to know. Um, I recently almost did not get an Amazon package, which was from Amazon Fresh, because I was ordering it for my job, and my job does not reimburse tip. So I did not put a tip on there. Also, it's a full-time job, and it's not really a service job. As far as I'm concerned, if you work for Amazon and you're delivering, that's like a flat, like, that's yeah. not a service job. That's, there was a place for a tip? Yes. Amazon Fresh. And it, it auto-populates it as five bucks. And so I took that off. And I got three notifications in a row, one of which was, your item is on the way. And it had, like, a, a driver uh, code. And then I got another, your item is on your way with a different driver code. And then another, your item is on the way with a driver code. Which means that two people passed off on it. Because... I'm certain because there was no tip. Yeah. I will tip delivery drivers from restaurants because I don't go through any of the third-party delivery services. I don't do any of them. I don't even I try even not to order. Like if you go to a restaurant's website and you go, "Oh, I'll I'll order" and it comes up as Caviar and then their website, that is DoorDash. DoorDash owns Caviar. So if you order from a restaurant through Caviar, and you pay on the website and you go to pick it up, DoorDash still makes money on that. It's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, so I don't order through any of those. So if somebody is delivering me a pizza or whatever, I always tip on that. If it's an employee of the restaurant, great, happy to do that. If you work for Amazon, I'm not tipping you for shit. That's like, I, let me like tipping my produce guy. No, you're just delivering a thing. You have a job, that's you do your job. That's all. Yeah. It's I not mean, a service position. Because they're, they're, and it was an Amazon employee, right? It's not like it's Instacart or whatever. Right. But I didn't do Instacart because it's like I don't want to pay a surcharge to use this uh, device and then also have to tip someone for shopping for me. It's like I mean, I, yeah, you're doing a service, but it's just I'm not going to use that service anymore because I don't want to. You know, I'm not I'm not going to do that. Uh, yeah. But and, and you know, speaking of pizza, I guess in some ways this th- kind of thing has been around forever because even when I worked at Pizza Hut, uh, that you know, w- if you order delivery, there's a delivery charge. I mean, it tells you that before you check out. It's not like you've eaten everything and then it surprises you with it. Yeah. And they also make sure you know that that's not a tip. And uh, a lot of that percentage of it does go to the driver, but not a high percentage. Most of it goes to the restaurant to recoup the loss of having to hire a delivery driver. Yeah. uh, To pay the wages. So, I mean, I guess they're getting it one way or another, but it's not, you know, extra um, or or, uh, like maybe uh, 30 cents of it or something is extra for the driver, but. So I, you know, that's the same thing. That's a, a a fee tagged onto the end of the thing, but it's different because it's you know it's not just in a restaurant and it's not surprising me at the end when I get the bill. Right. I 
man, I still go back and forth about tipping too, where it's like you go to pick up food at a restaurant. Cause I went to the shawarma place and I bought food last Wednesday and I did tip when I ordered the food online, whatever. Cause I was like, well, there's a good chance that this is a front of the house person who has to like put the whole bag together and all this stuff and whatever. And I still don't know how I feel about that because like, if I am going to a restaurant to pick my food up, but I'm not being served anything, do I tip them? And I generally my feeling is like, no, why would I do that? Why would I tip them? But then I go back to the fact that in restaurants like that, servers have to pay out a certain amount of their tips based on their sales to the buster and the bartender and all that kind of stuff. And if my sale is being added to that total amount that they then have to pay out a percentage of, because it's not a percentage of tips, it's a percentage of sales. And if my sale is being attributed to whoever printed that ticket out or whatever, like I don't want to have them have to pay a percentage of the sale and not have any tips to back it up. So like I feel weird about it, but that's where the whole tipping thing is so nebulous and strange that it feels like a guilt trip that I don't want to be part of, but I also don't want to hurt somebody. So at the same, like I just go back and forth about it. It's, it's, it's nuts. We're, I mean, we're practically in the guilt economy right now. Yeah. Um, but there's that. And there's, so there's a, a coffee place near here. Um, I don't think they're still doing it, but anyway, uh, the a newer one, not Starbucks, but a chain, a local chain in the area. And uh, I was going through there, this is ages ago now, and they were ringing up on whatever system they use. I don't know whether it was Stripe or uh, Square or whatever. Yeah. And I'm. it's only a drive-through. This place is only a drive-through. Well, you, or, or a walk-up. I guess you could park and you could walk up and there's a window. But like no dining room or anything. Um, and they were like, do you want to leave a tip? And I was like, uh... You know, when I have cash and I get coffee through a drive-through, I'll give I'll give it like a buck. But I used yeah. to work at Starbucks. I know that it's not a tipping wage. You get paid, you know, minimum at least yeah. regular minimum wage, not tipping wage, which might not be a lot or great. And I get that. But if I have cash, I'll, I usually leave a dollar. But I don't usually leave anything on a card if I'm paying on a card. Um, so I was just thrown off, and I I found being asked off-putting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I there's, haven't been back. There's a, a coffee shop that I don't go to anymore in this city, which will remain unnamed because, again, I don't – for the most part, I'm not going to trash talk folks because I don't get anything out of it. I'd much rather tell you about good experiences I've had. But I went to this coffee place, and I needed beans. And I grabbed two bags of beans from their display in the front. I put them on the countertop, and I – you know, said I wanted to pay. And they said, do you want anything else? I said, no. And then when I hit no tip on the screen that was facing me, the gal behind the counter, swear to God, she like her, she narrowed her eyes at me. And I was real close. Like I took a breath. I was real close to being like, the fuck did you do that I should tip you for? Cause I just grabbed my own bags of beans and I brought you, you hit three buttons on the computer and you want a tip for that. Yeah. And right off the bat, like right there, I'm never going back to that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's petty and dumb. But like you're right. It's a guilt, it's a guilt economy, right? Like just because baristas, from what I understand, in the city of Chicago, all make at least minimum wage. Yeah, there's it's no not part of the tipped uh wage credit. Correct. It is not. Yeah. Now that may have been different 
although it wasn't for me at the terrible bagel place I worked at. Like, I don't know if they he was trying to get some of the tip credit. Um, so I don't I don't remember what my quote unquote employees paid for or, or were paid. Um, so he may have been trying to work that kind of scam. But no, it, I don't know of any coffee shop that because I don't think you would make enough to get above what you, you know, for the restaurant right, to actually be able right. to claim that they'd have to give you minimum anyway. So, yeah. um, yeah, Starbucks pays minimum wage that none of them are, are not getting it. So it, it should be about appreciation. Or if you're, uh, a, just a complete asshole that has a drink that's so specific that you'll only take it a certain way, then yes, you need to be tipping because you are a huge thorn in the side of everybody working there. You're asking for extra special treatment. You should be paying a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part's fine. The part where it's an expectation and it feels like an affront if I don't tip them for ringing up the thing that I carried over on my own. Come on, calm down. Yeah. I've just had to get over not tipping when I go to pick up my pizza. Um, because, you know, I'm like, I, I tip delivery, but I, I'm i picking this up. Yeah. So, you yeah. know. The only part of it that hangs me up is, am I adding to their total amount that they're going to have to tip out, yeah. but not adding any tips to it? Yeah. And I, uh, that's the restaurant's thing to handle. That's not my thing. I need to get over that. That shouldn't be calculus that's in my head. Because, again, tipping a server happens after you've been served a thing. But if I go to pick my food up, I haven't been served anything. I'm doing all the work. I should be getting a tip. Yeah. I drove all the fucking way over here. Well, that was a gimmick for Domino's there for a hot minute. We're like, come pick up your pizza. We'll tip you. And you get like a dollar credit for for something but uh yeah it it, it is and what this is going to lead to is a society that tips a heck of a lot less because there's going to be blowback right we're, right. we're so saturated now like, i didn't click the article or read it but it was like a self-checkout asking about a tip and it's like what you and i you and i briefly talked about this because it was actually sent to me by a listener this very very short story that uh, somebody related they were at an airport and there was an automated kiosk yes. where you would bring up uh there was like coolers and you would bring up whatever your thing was out of one of the coolers and scan it. And there was a, a line for tipping. And the question there is, tip who? There's no employees here. <laughs> yeah. The electrician, the whoever plugged in the cooler. Yeah. Right. So now what we're looking at is the robot overlords want tips. And that's yeah. fucked. Fuck those guys. Well, I mean, and that's just going to that's gonna lead to less tips for people that are working the t- like yeah. wait yeah. staff and that. Because then people are just going to be so over it. Well, right, and folks generally are not thinking about it the way that you and I are, which is fine because most folks are not in the industry and they're just going to think to themselves, well, all of these people want tips now, so I'm not going to tip anybody anymore. And there are still people for whom that's the primary way that they make their money. Yeah. Right. I I don't know. The lady at the haircut place who they did it, not a great job on my son's hair and the lady got all angry at me when I wouldn't give her my cell phone number and then at the end glared at me when I didn't tip her and I was this close to being like I didn't want to do any of this lady like you're lucky I'm paying you for the bad haircut much less giving you a fucking tip also never coming back here again I'm getting to an age one bad experience and I write off an entire sector of something right so (laughs) the hair cuttery fuck those guys forever all every single branch of that place which is a national company never go back to another one well so is there any any is there any restaurant equivalent to so a hair cuttery as long as, as well as like supercuts and a lot of these are like people that have just been through beauty school or uh, barber college or whatever it's called uh, and they they have their certificate 
And before they go to be a beautician somewhere else or, you know, get get a higher paying job where they're specializing at like a salon or something, they're kind of cutting their teeth in this place. Yeah. But they're there with a bunch of other people that are cutting their teeth. So if you find someone that does a good job, like a really good job, legitimate good job, chances are the next month or whenever you show up again, they're not going to be there because they've yeah. gotten a better job somewhere. And you're left with someone else who's really green and just learning how to do things. And uh, th- that's how those places make their money on paying those people not much. Um, I yes. guess it's it's like the stodge, stodge, stodge of a, uh, or like an apprenticeship kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. where well, everyone's I, an apprentice. <laughs> yeah, and if I understand, because the place where I, my son and I go, I know that the fellow who owns it cuts hair. He cuts my hair and he cuts my son's hair. We tip him just fine because he's also small business owner. His wife runs the counter. He's got two kids. Like I know him. Of course, I want to give him more money. He's awesome. He's got a stable of about four other guys who I think work in sort of like a rotating fashion where they have regulars who come there. I don't know if those guys are actually employees or if they're like contractors, right? Like if they get a cut based on how many people they bring in or if it's a per appointment or whatever. But I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is also tips because they are nicer than they probably need to be just based on hanging out with those guys. Like they really do try to sort of generate a relationship with their, the people that are cutting their hair because it is a little bit of a competition. Obviously the more customers you are bringing into that place, the better everybody does. And so, but I I don't know, I'm certain there's not a fee, but I also don't think that it's like a wage based employment situation for those guys. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Like, if nobody signs up to have one of these other guys cut their hair that day, like, that guy doesn't work that day, I think is how it goes. Yeah. And they're not going to get paid. But I don't know that for certain either, right? Like, that's just, I've been trying to sort of, like, scope it out every time we're there and see if I can figure out what that business model is. Because I don't know, right? Like, there's, turns out there's all kinds of things that I don't know about business that I thought I did. And, I, you know. What a crazy. I don't know about barbershops. Yeah, what a crazy model. On the one hand, you're like, well, it could be good because then the people that do a good job are going to be the ones that get the appointments. Yeah. And the, and if you're not doing it, I mean, it really does behoove you to be good at what you do. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it seems a little uh, like you're taking advantage of folk. <laughs> well, and I mean, the fellow who owns the place on their website when they go to when you go to make an appointment, like all of the guys are there and there's all this you know availability. So it's not like he's hindering anybody from doing yeah, it like yeah. you can get it and we've done that in the past where like it's coming up on picture day and my son needs a haircut and we haven't been able to go with the owner because he's booked up or whatever so we go with one of the other guys they always do a fine job but we look for the appointments with the owner we like him what are you gonna do you know? yeah serving is not quite like that i mean individual servers will have sections that they like to have and they'll have shifts they like to have and they'll have regulars that'll come in and look for them but it's not quite the same and and it's kind of backwards there too because what you should be doing is like is Ben working in the kitchen? Okay, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. if not, then oh well, no. I'm I only eat here when when Ben is you know working whatever. And then, uh, but but it's never it never comes out with a thing that says you know like inspected by number forty seven. It's never like this food was put together. This plate was <laughs> uh, you know compiled or whatever composed by. Right. Huh. That would be interesting. Like an a la carte menu that also includes the person who's going to make your food. Yeah. because like, I want this burger, but I want Phil to make it. Yeah. You know, it's better when Phil makes it. Because there's, right. I mean, I think legitimately, I know when I worked uh, a server, when I was a server at the restaurant in Grand Rapids, there was one salad guy who legitimately, if Burger King hired him, their burgers would not, there would be no question they would, they would win that lawsuit. Because <laughs> everything he made salad-wise 
picture perfect, absolutely yeah. gorgeous, and it went out looking perfect. And other people, it was the same salad, but it was thrown together. I probably tasted very similar, but if you're eating with your eyes first, his were definitely yeah. better. So um, I'm sure it's true with some other things too. Um, and I guess it, some of it depends on who's doing your prep and all that as well. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, who's doing it matters sometimes. And there'd be people like, I don't understand why this isn't, wasn't as good this time. It's like, well, I have an idea maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be. It's day mean, off. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Not, he's not back there today. Well, and as someone who is in charge of the training and the maintenance of staff, which I am, uh, last year at this time when we parted ways with one employee and I uh, promoted another employee up into that employee's position, I started getting compliments immediately on that station's output, right? Which nothing that we've ever made at the school has been bad, but it went from pretty good to amazing. And yeah. has maintained that now for a year. So the lady who's in that position, like yesterday, I was still getting compliments on the stuff that she's making. And at this point, I'm like, you should just know. Like, yeah. if, you get, <laughs> if you are ordering from, if you're getting food from this station, it's going to be amazing. That's just what she does, right? In that process, I moved someone else, promoted someone else into a new uh, position. I promoted someone from like sandwich and spa water prep to salad bar suits her a lot better right uh suddenly the salad bar is gorgeous it looked great before now it's gorgeous now it's like take a picture all the time yeah doesn't matter if it's opening closing middle of service whatever salad bar is gorgeous all the time I, you can't train for that really you kind of can but you need to get the person in the position who is going to do that job no matter what i'm blessed i guess like i'm very fortunate that now at the very least i have five people out of six positions who I know are doing the best job they can all the time. Yeah. I've got one who's a little wiggly, little wiggly. We need to figure this out next week. Um, what you, I feel like this would take more, definitely more talent than I have and probably more talent than it would seem because it's, it probably happened accidentally a little bit for you last time or, or before you're sort of, uh, re re rearranging or rehiring. But, uh, um, be a restaurant ringer. So instead of being like, I'm going to, what was the show called where they'd come in and redo an entire restaurant? Um, oh, Kitchen uh, Nightmares or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Restaurant Impossible, Kitchen Nightmares, whatever yeah, it's yeah. called. And then uh, they try to fix everything. But instead, what you need is you need a restaurant ringer. And it's like, I'm going to come <laughs> in and I'm going to be on the station and I'm going to do things just a little bit worse than they're being done now. <laughs> so that then in a month or whatever, when you bring the other person back or when they, then people are going to be like, wow, this is so much better. <laughs> than it was before <laughs> just drop the expectations absolutely yeah drop the bar a little <laughs> bit and then you'll be leaping over it here's the one thing i will say about this school year we change things i really hope this is not true we changed things in such a way that opening this year was very exciting right because we had <laughs> think about your school cafeteria right that's what we are we prefer to call it a dining hall because it makes it sound fancier but whatever we moved the salad bar so it's right down the middle of the 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 room this year breaks up the room a little bit, makes it a little bit more dynamic and whatever. The two hotlines, which used to be the exact same thing that changed every day, right? So it'd be the same thing on both sides, but every day that thing would be different. Now one side changes every day. One side has like uh, a three sauce pasta station two days of the week and a wrap and sandwich station two days out of the week. And then Friday we have a family style meal. So the second station's not there. 
the kids have gone fucking bonkers for it. They have loved everything to the point where, like I was saying at the very beginning, we were producing an enormous amount of shit, right? I hope we're not setting anybody up to fail. Like, I hope we can maintain the <laughs> level of energy that we've had so far because yeah. last week was, like, truly celebratory. It was amazing. And I hope it's just going to keep being like that because yeah. uh, things – I wanted to strike a balance between being like, here's the new cool shit, but at the same time not having so much stuff out that, if, that we would have to dial back. Yeah. I wanted to leave a little bit of space to, like, add more stuff if we needed it. But our new bare minimum is pretty darn cool. But if we have to decrease it all, it's going to be really disappointing for like everybody. So yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've got no we've got no room to step back. We're right up against the edge, right? Like we could we could increase, but if we were to decrease now, it would feel like a betrayal. Yeah, can't have that. Well, then you'd have to come up with a. Uh... A really good reason and yeah. you know speak i think that's what those surcharges feel like is a betrayal yeah yeah, yeah. uh you know of, of trust of something versus having a really really good reason for it you know uh, even if it's the hey this is the i didn't go and smash your windows and steal your car fee <laughs> at least then i know what it, you know it's like oh well yeah i didn't want my car stolen so i guess you know it's still extortion but at least i can understand well, it it is its own metaphor. Like, you get to the end of the bill and you're like, wait, wait, wait. You said it cost this much. Why does it cost this much now? You know? Like, yeah. That's exactly what's going on. <laughs> you don't even <laughs> need to compare it to anything. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's a trick. It feels like a trick. And, like, it's a trick for good, but that's not how it's going to feel. Right. In the wallet, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and that 80% are probably tricks for good. <laughs> at least yeah. at least 20% are tricks for tricks' sake. But... Well, and there's also that whole thing about inflation and people hiding behind this big boogeyman of inflation, which nobody really understands what inflation is, where you've got these like egg, butter, milk, meat, all of these commodity uh, products had to raise their prices. And in some cases, it was legitimate. They had to raise their prices because of costs to them. And then they realized that people complained for a minute, but then got used to it. And so now that inflation is coming back down, prices are not coming down, right? Yeah. So, yeah, some of those surcharges probably did, like they said in that article, survived the pandemic. And the restaurants are like, wait, wait, people stop complaining about it. We'll leave them on there. Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% going to say that was that's not the case for everybody. But right. some of them, it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder so let's let's just say you have to keep the surcharges. Steve, which would you prefer? A dollar amount or a percentage of your bill? Which would you be less angry about seeing? Well, I think I'd be less angry in general if it was made clear up front. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Um so that being said, I think I'd be happier with a dollar amount. Me too. Yeah, because a percentage feels like a, a punishment. Yeah, and then also, if it's a percentage, I feel like I would be more likely to really wonder how I'm going to adjust the percentage I'm giving to waitstaff. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> that came up in that article, too. Uh, people doing that math, which is if I'm being charged a certain percentage anyway, I'm going to take that off of my tip. Yeah. And restaurant owners finding that tips are going down because of that surcharge. Yeah, and then they're going to lose staff, and they're going to have to charge more to keep the staff they have. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting. So next week is when I process raises for all of my staff. And like I said, not galactically different 
wages. My staff are getting significant raises, but it's only significant in the structure of what they were being paid before. It's not like they're going to be going up hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, right? Yeah, yeah. Like these are these are good chunks of money, but I'm still not going to be paying my staff what they're worth, which is a bummer. But so much of that's not up to me. I can only um, advocate for so much because we write the budget, we present it to the client, the client comes back with revisions and whatever. And so that's all done at a pay rate that's higher than mine. I advocated as hard as I could. In fact, I scored two of three of my staff mid-year raises last year, which never happens. I'm very proud of that still. And they're getting raises on top of that, which is, again, unheard of in my company. But we're doing these things that feel desperate to keep staff, but they're not desperate. They're just uh, bold. We're making bold choices to yeah. keep staff. And I like it. I like that that's a thing that we're doing, and we're pre like we're presenting that to clients that way. We are paying our staff what they deserve, and if you don't want to pay our staff what they deserve, what does that say about you? <laughs> yeah, kind of what we're saying <laughs> to the clients, and uh, it's it's landing really well. Like we're not going aggro on the clients right off the bat, but the clients are really responding well to it, saying, "Okay, great, take care of your people. That's awesome. Your people take care of us. You take care of them." And and that's that's working out pretty well. And it's gonna be it's gonna feel really nice to deliver those raises to my staff next week because there's a whole process. They have to sign off on a new document and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's gonna feel good because the standard raise that they would have gotten this coming this like next week is a third or a quarter of what I negotiated for them. It's a lot more than what they would have gotten normally. But like you know. With quote uh, the big inflation monster out there, getting a two or three percent cost of living raise right now is more like a seven percent decrease. Yeah. So the fact that I'm getting them far more than that, I feel really good about that. Now I also get a raise next week, and I feel really good about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what my raise is though, because I don't get to see that part of the budget. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So Maybe I'll be rich. No, it'll be that. it'll be a pleasant surprise well pleasant surprise but depending depending on what it is it will uh, determine how pleasant <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah at no point have i ever been that guy who's like i only got this so if it, like you want to make me a happy guy give me any amount of raise you'd be like you get one percent i'll be like hell yeah <laughs> as long as you're not taking money away from me i don't care so. yeah if it's if it's minuscule i'm still gonna be like that number's bigger than it was yesterday i don't care <laughs> yeah it's like the opposite of greed i'm just delighted to have a wee little bit more i'm such a sucker <laughs> all right i have bread that i need to check in a little bit here let's finish with a story that we skipped over a while back that you sent okay. to me because we did not talk about the wine that was aged at the bottom of the ocean right okay right so this, you sent this to me. This is from Food and Wine. This is a while back. This is the middle of August. It's right around your birthday. A California wine company had to destroy 2,000 bottles of wine after illegally aging them at the bottle of bottom of the ocean. Officials call the wine, quote, not fit for human consumption. This is a picture of a bunch of wine bottles that are wet. I don't yeah. think these are the ones that were actually destroyed. No, I don't think so either because none of them look like they have corks. So I think those are just a bunch right. of old wine bottles that they blackened out the labels on for whatever photo uh, um, service they used. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that fascinated me about this, though, the two big things that fascinated me about this were one, that the, the fine or whatever that they had to pay and they had to destroy all this wine. And then two, uh, like that that was a selling that was a gimmick they were using in terms of 
of aging the wine. Yeah. So the quote from this, it says, On its website, California wine company Ocean Fathoms praises the waters of the Santa Barbara Channel as the perfect environment for aging its wines. The set of special characteristics of the Channel Islands environment gives Ocean Fathoms a superior product, the company claims, before praising the abundant underwater flora and fauna that attach itself to each bottle. That sounds gross. Yeah. Like, do you want an aged, a wet aged bottle of wine with like a crab on the outside of it? <laughs> I mean, it depends which wine goes with crab. Uh, white wine. So yeah. if it's a white wine, then I guess you're there okay. You yeah, yeah. Oaked Chardonnay. Uh, so in 2017, Ocean Fathoms started to submerge specially designed crates of its wine in the channel. And when the bo- bottles were retrieved 12 months later, they were sold for up to $500 each. The problem, and this is a significant one, was that the company's owners never received the proper permits from the California Coastal Commission or the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which turned that perfect environment into an illegal one. On top of that, this company sold wine without a business license. (laughs) I love that this is kind of buried. They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're not a real company either. Right. (laughs) What? And without an ABC alcohol sales permit. And it was collecting taxes from each purchase without paying the required taxes to the state. Yeah. They basically every single thing you could do wrong in a business, they just said, "Yeah, hell yeah, we're doing that." Yeah. So the fact that, according to Santa Barbara County District Attorney John T. Sabernach, the wines could be considered adulterated and not fit for human consumption, what that means to me is that. Like, they weren't wrapped or anything because corks are permeable, so they just chucked them in the yeah. water. Right. They're in the wow. whatever the crate is, and then, uh, yeah. Um, wow. And so the ATF seized 2,000 bottles of wine from Ocean Fathom and destroyed them at a wastewater treatment plant in Santa Barbara. Um, and the, their fancy glass bottles with all the flora and the fauna were recycled. So I don't know if they've gone on to get get their stuff or not. Would, would I know you don't drink anymore, which is great. Yeah. When you were drinking, <laughs> would this have been something like, oh, I got to get me one of those? No. Yeah. I, well, I was also not that kind of drinker, right? Like going way out of my way to get something like that. So here, let me, let me push it this way. There's this thing called terroir, which is the flavors of the area, right? So like certain, like you could grow the exact same grapes, the exact same grape in two different locations and they'll taste different because of what's in the environment fine there's one uh alsatian white wine in germany that uh germany france that border area that you can detect faint notes of diesel fuel fumes in it because the grapes are grown on this hillside above what is now a huge highway and it's actually not unpleasant it's not like there's diesel in it. It's just that right. that mixes with like the pollen and the fruit and all that kind of stuff. And it's not like there's like gasoline on top of the wine, but like there's just this hint and you can just kind of get it and it's not bad. It doesn't taste bad, but it just gives you that that extra little bit of being connected to that place where that was grown. Uh, still wouldn't seek that out, but I was not that sophisticated of a drinker. And at the same time, do I want wine that tastes like it's been sitting at the bottom of the ocean not really well no, and I no do, part of that sounds good i i do know from colombo that you you need to store your wine properly if it gets too hot it will yep. uh ruin it um that was the donald pleasance episode it's a very good episode of colombo but uh when you're aging wine where does that typically take place so 
two different places. Depending on the wine, if you're aging it in a barrel, and this is what's important about the submerging part to me. If you're aging it in a barrel, again, barrels are permeable too. So you lose a little bit of wine. A little bit of it is absorbed into the wood of the barrel, and a little bit of it then actually evaporates out through that wood, right? Just a wee little bit. It's called the angel's share, right? You have a little bit less wine at the end because the angels have, have had some. In a bottle, the reason that the bottle's cork is permeable as well is for that exact same thing. There are gases that escape through there as the wine ages. Um, there are just things that are beneficial to the wine to being exposed to just a little bit of air. Just a little bit. So I can't think of any good reason why you would chuck them in the ocean first. No yeah. good reason at all. I, I, I can't remember and maybe anyone who is more of a wine person than me can think of a time when someone's like, hey, we found the shipwreck and it had a bunch of wine bottles on it. Let's drink it. Um, I don't remember that happening. I do remember some things. It was like, this looks like it still has stuff in it. And they found that beer, what was left of beer, it wouldn't have actually been liquid in Egypt that they were going to try to recreate um, with the yeast they found with right, a mummy right. or something like that. Um, but that. And that's one thing. But yeah, I, I just... I. And the fact that they didn't have a liquor license, they didn't have a business license, they weren't actually paying the tax to the state, leads me to wonder how competent they were about the winemaking, because they didn't seem to be very competent about the rest of it. My presumption is that they were sourcing the wine already made and bottled from somewhere else, slapping their own labels on it, chucking them in the ocean. Like, I don't presume these are fellows who were actually making wine. Yeah. It seems like they were buying cheap, terrible wine and making a gimmick out of it. Yes. That's that's what it looks like to me. Or maybe there's some wine heist we've yet to hear about that they were yeah. involved in. Um, so the the two the two fellows who are the founders of this, Emmanuel Azzaretto and Todd Hahn, pled guilty to three misdemeanors for illegally discharging material into US waters, selling alcohol without a license, and aiding and abetting investor fraud. Which is hilarious. All three of those things are hilarious. Yes. Oh, what was I gonna say? Uh well, one thought floating around there is, so if you're fishing <laughs> and you pull up a crate of this wine, would you just keep, would you just be able to keep it? Like, how did they keep it, keep track of it? And how did they? It's uh... a great question. I don't know. They, they don't strike me as the kind of people who would have high tech security either. Yeah. I mean, how waterproof are uh, Apple uh, uh, tags? Oh, I don't know. I wonder. Maybe they could use those microscopic ones from the Parmesan cheese. Oh, yeah. Cheese. Yeah. Side note, ladies and gentlemen, let me find this real quick because it cracked me up after we were talking about Parmesan a little while ago. Parmesan Reggiano makers are putting edible microchips the size of a grain of sand into their 90-pound cheese wheels to combat counterfeiters. I presume it's like what you were talking about. It's like an apple tag. Uh, I have not verified that. Yes. Sounds awesome, and I hope it's true. I kind of want cheese that has, like, geotag in it, but uh, I, I cannot guarantee that. What? I do wonder, like, did, does it pass through if you eat it? What if it gets stuck in your gut? Then then I guess you can tell if there's a counterfeit you. And also, yeah. is there is there a uh, is there a huge market for counterfeit Parmesan Reggiano? I don't know. And After how, all how, those ones were destroyed that, that, that squished that guy... Maybe yeah. there's a... Well, how do you counterfeit a cheese? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if Parmigiano-Reggiano is one of those um, 
products like, that that has to be made in a certain region right like champagne count. or whatever yeah yeah, yeah 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 that could be and then there's just branding is it branding that they do the to the outside of the cheese or how do they get the marks so. yeah heat right or whatever it's either that or it's like pressed in with like a mold when they first make it not okay. mold like something's moldy but like right, a, right. A, yeah a shape um but to get back to this wine thing i would and I've, I've never made my own wine, I would heartily disagree with any maritime environment being the, quote, perfect environment for aging wine. I well, don't see that as being remotely possible. That's the other question. How long does it take to normally age wine? Depends on the wine. Uh, lots and lots of whites are not aged at all. Chardonnay that are oaked, uh, that are in a barrel, uh, that's it's not long at all. It's a matter of months, I believe. Some red wines are aged quite a while before they're put into bottles but even then after you put them into a bottle you can consider them just sitting in the bottle to be aging but you know it's they also will reach a point where like well now it's not wise vinegar (laughs) right so you have to be careful with that and i know at some point you want to make sure that you are um rotating the bottle to keep the cork wet yeah or or all of it could dissipate um well the the cork will dry out and crack yeah yeah uh, but yeah, it just, it just seems like, I, I mean, the only thing I will say to their credit or in their defense is that I also would not have realized that I needed to get a permit from all those people in order to chuck a case of wine into the ocean and drag yeah. it up a year later. Um, that would not have, I wouldn't have uh, thought that that would have been necessary. The Army Corps of Engineers, for example. Um, However, to sell wine, you would sort of presume that you would need a wine yes. selling license. <laughs> yeah, or and a business license. And a business and- license. I, I wouldn't think that I got to keep the tax I collected. <laughs> right. There's a right. few things there that I even even I would not have been uh, yeah. so dim-witted about. But um, yeah, and I probably never would have thought I'm going to chuck this in the ocean. I'll bring it up a year later and sell it. So I guess that's maybe not to my credit. That's uh, I should be thinking more about that. It's a weird scam. It's a very weird scam. Yeah, and I'm guessing so. Like they would have had what buoys to mark the spot because i mean the ocean's pretty big like you could lose wine real fast yeah if you just threw wine in the ocean and then went back for it a year later and it's not where you thought it was or you're not where you thought it was right they, so yeah they must and i guess it, it, it's the channel as well so maybe is that how they were caught it's just like someone's boating in the santa barbara channel and they're like what are all these buoys <laughs> right <laughs> right I just drug one up and there's a bunch of Bartles and James on the end. What the hell is going on? Right. Yeah. There you go. It's Boone's farm. Yeah. (laughs) Barnacle farm. I do not know. I mean, all the things that I don't know about winemaking and aging and all of that. um, I do know about the business license and the alcohol vendors permit and stuff like that. Right. So like maybe aging wine at the bottom of the ocean is perfect and fantastic. I wouldn't know that. I would know all the other stuff that was clearly just fraud. If so it they, makes me disbelieve kind of everything these guys say. It does make me wonder, though, is this is this like art where there are some forgeries that are worth as much as originals? Um, where it's like, well, now, because they destroyed however many bottles of it, anyone that actually paid $500 and has a barnacle-encrusted <laughs> bottle of wine, like that's now worth a lot more because of its rarity? Could be. Could be. Pry those crabs off of there. Yeah. <laughs> I... I don't want crabs, and I don't want my wine to have crabs. Agreed. Agreed. 
Well, my second timer just went off to go mess with this bread. It's already eight o'clock, so at bare minimum, I'm going to be baking it at like nine. So <laughs> I should get cracking on that. Steve, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No, I think I'm good. All right. I feel very proud of us that we basically stuck to our articles today. <laughs> <and> talked about, <laughs> aside from 40 minutes on cereal, we talked about mostly what we were supposed to talk about tonight. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to talk to us about cereal for 40 minutes, the best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram, where you can see uh, people driving backward down my one way street, uh, because I did a video of that the other day. Uh, Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you search for In the Weeds with Ben Randall and Steve runs a website for us. In the Weeds WBR.com. Where you can get lots more information about all the articles we talk about and we've got some merch on there and that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, also we are, as always, looking for uh, other voices to be on the show. So let's say you are a restaurateur who is grappling with this whole surcharge thing or you are trying to eliminate tipping, or you recently opened or closed or transitioned your restaurant, like voices from the industry, I'm starting to lose my connection to those people the longer I spend my time professionally actually outside of full service restaurants. So I would love to have more folks on here to talk about that stuff. Yeah. You wanna talk about mental health in the industry? I'm here for that, any of that. If you are secretly um, abating Poseidon's takeover of the earth <laughs> a la Cabin in the Woods by throwing wine into the ocean, let us know. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, exactly. If you know that the best way to age wine is completely carbuncled up at the bottom of the ocean, let us know. Because that's something I don't know a lot about. Like I said, I know a lot about the fraud parts of it. Those guys were just like, oh yeah, no, we did that. Yeah. <laughs> so, we would love to hear from you. Please yeah. feel free to reach out. But until then, uh, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. Don't know why I waved. <laughs> <laughs> Worth it. <laughs>